from Wilkinsburg this morning, and we're very excited to be here uh, streaming to all of our campuses, so we welcome all of our campuses from the Wilkinsburg campus. Yeah. <laughs> Some tremendous ministry going on out here, and if you've not visited the Wilkinsburg campus, you need to come out and do that. And what's cool is, not only here in the worship center, but if you go down, there are rooms full of kids downstairs. That is very exciting, isn't it? And so we're very uh, pleased and excited and thankful for what God is doing here. Uh, Dave DiDonato is our campus pastor here, and he just led us uh, in a devotion and a reminder of what happened uh, in our city uh, just yesterday, uh, about two miles from here, in fact, the shooting at the synagogue. And, uh, you know, uh, not only uh, this area... But all of Pittsburgh has been impacted by this. And so as a church, uh, Dave led uh, the Wilkinsburg congregation in that. But as a church, we want to pray uh, for our city. We want to pray for uh, the community. We want to pray for those uh, who uh, have lost loved ones. Uh, there's a, a member of the church here who, a good friend, uh, was killed yesterday. And so let's just ask God for his help and then uh, ask him for his help as we look at his word today. Father, we bow before you, and um, uh, we are reminded in times like this that, uh, that you are God and there is none other. And so, Lord, even when we don't understand, and even when we have questions in our minds, and even when we can't figure out what's going on sometimes, you are still God. And we'll talk about that today. And I pray, Father, that you would be uh, with those uh, at uh, the synagogue just a couple miles from the Wilkinsburg campus. I pray, Father, for those who have lost loved ones, that you will comfort them. I pray that uh, you will uh, give them the strength that they need to go through this uh, difficult time. And I pray, Father, that through it all, you would be the one that is uh, their, their strength and their comfort. And Lord, that Jesus would become real. And that you would use this, Lord, for your eternal purposes. So Lord, we come before you today and we're asking uh, for your help, not only in our city, but your help as we open your word. We have nothing to say unless you speak through us. We can't hear unless you open our ears, our hearts, all each of us, we have these hard parts in our heart, unless you're the one who uh, softens them and speaks to us. So be with us, Lord, today we pray. We commit our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. What I want to do as we begin today is to give you a little quiz. Let's just switch our mind on our thinking a little bit. I want to give you a little quiz, all right? You cannot look at your Bibles. It's not even a Bible quiz, so you don't have to worry about looking at your Bibles. I've got about nine questions, and what I want you to do is answer each question very quickly. You do not, some math questions to begin with. You do not have to remember anything. You just let it go, but answer silently. The Saturday night group did not take those instructions last night. <laughs> so answer silently, just to yourself, and then I'm going to ask you 
two questions. All right, everybody got it? All right, here we go. You ready? 15 plus 6. 89 plus 2. 12 plus 53. 76 plus 21. 25 plus 51. 63 plus 32. 123 plus 13. And now real quick, think about a color and a tool. A color and a tool. How many of you, raise your hand, if you thought of a red hammer? <laughs> Works every time. Red hammer. If you're a normal group, and you're a normal here, but at their other campuses, that's questionable. If you're a normal group, 98% of you, in your answer, had either the color red or hammer. How many of you had either red or hammer? Okay, good percentage. Psychologist Daniel Kahneman uses this simple test to illustrate that we have these two channels or two parts of our brain. We have a deliberative side, right, which is very logical. And then we have this other side that's instinctive and it becomes emotional. And so I exhausted you by those math questions, right? And your mind went right to the emotional side and you thought of the color red because that's a common color. And you thought of a hammer because that's a common tool. Now, if you said garnet, channel lock, rescue tool, uh, you're either a creative genius or just a little strange, one or the other. In fact, uh, I googled unusual tools just for that statement, and I, and I found this uh, uh, channel lock rescue tool, and I put it on my list for Christmas. I think that's pretty cool. It doesn't come in garnet, but uh, it's cool nonetheless. So stressed, exhausted, crunched for time, we default into our emotional side. Stressed, exhausted, and crunched for time. Those are three words, three phrases that could be used to describe this thing we call parenting, right? parenting. It's a great joy. It's a great privilege. Uh, it is fun. But sometimes we're under a lot of stress and we're exhausted and we're crunched for time. That's why we say things like, if you don't get in this house right now, you will never go outside ever again. <laughs> or you will sit at the table until you eat every one of your peas. My son is 30 years old. He's been sitting at our table for 24 years. He refused to eat his peas. But the funny story is, uh, he started dating Sarah, now his wife, and her mother fixed peas, and he ate every one of them. Really irritated Lori that he did that. When I was growing up, 
Uh, in the summer times, we would go barefoot a lot. Not to church, but we would go barefoot around the, around the yard and around the neighborhood. And uh, I, this was not a smart thing for me to do. But I, I, I would mow the grass barefoot. And my mom would come out and she would start yelling at me, if you cut off your foot, don't come running to me. <laughs> but how am I going to run to you if my foot is cut off? Stressed, exhausted, and crunched for time. That's when we parent by instinct only. And that leads to some problems, doesn't it? So we need to slow down. We need to take a break. We need to establish a a deliberative, logical, biblical plan. And we need to think through what our children as individuals need as we parent them. Again, I don't care if it's a toddler or adult. You're still a parent impacting their life. So Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what? He'll not depart from it. Now again, the Proverbs are general instruction, but most commentators think train up a child in the way he should go means according to his ways. So according to how God has wired him or her. Just like all of us have a different fingerprint, so God has wired each kid differently. Parenting is not one size fits all. So how did God wire your children? You have to be a student of your child before you're a teacher of your child. Okay, so over the next two times, today and next week, we're going to talk about unselfie parenting as we continue uh, this series. Next week, we're going to be very, very practical. I'm going to give you about... Uh, four or five just plug and play things, some things to take with you from the service that you can, you can implant right into your parenting. But our primary goal today is to back up a little bit and we want to first do the most important thing and that is to establish a biblical framework of parenting. All right? So next week, very practical. Today, a biblical framework of parenting. So, in Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, you've got to think about that. That's a, crazy, that's a crazy question. First of all, how many laws were there? 613 laws, right? 613. Then, there's summarized... In the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are broken up into two tables. They're called one through three, vertical, our relationship to God. And then four through ten, horizontal, our relationship with others. And so when the, when, when the lawyer asks this question to try to trick Jesus, just think about that. What's he expecting Jesus to say? One of those 613 or one of the ten or which table will he pick? And Jesus, answering that question, says this, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's it. And the second is like unto it, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. See what Jesus is doing? Love vertical, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's where it starts. That's the most important. And then, after you do that, when you're working on that, that's the most important. Then, love your neighbor as yourself. And that neighbor is certainly community, but it starts right in where? The home. Demonstrating what it looks like to love and serve Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus in Matthew 22 gave this great commandment, he was not putting forth a new teaching. He actually was going back in the Old Testament and bringing from the Old Testament a teaching that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the cool thing, and this is where we're going to spend our time today. Here's the cool thing about this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6 that gives us the greatest commandment, the great commandment, also is connected to what? Parenting. It's connected right to parenting. So let's think about what we're going to do. Big framework. 613 laws condensed into 10 commandments as a summary. And now we have a statement that Jesus says, this summarizes it all. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. Turn there in your Bibles, if you would. And while you're turning there, let me give you just a little context. The name Deuteronomy means second law or second law giving. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses is kind of retelling. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, he is kind of retelling what he wrote in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. The second law giving. He's repeating it. He's retelling it. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses kind of recaps the Ten Commandments. And then he summarizes even more succinctly, again, in this passage here. Let me set the, let me set the context for this passage in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The part that we're going to look at today. Now, this is the commandment. This is the sum and, and succinct saying of the law. This is the commandment. Statutes and rules. That the Lord your God commanded me, Moses, to teach you. But he commanded me to teach you. So what? So you would do them. In the land to which you're going over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son. But not just you, right? Your son. And then who else? Your grandchildren. Your son and your son's son. And how are you going to demonstrate by fearing God? How are you going to demonstrate your reverence and love and honor for God? You're going to do that by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Here, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. And then we get into this passage that we're going to focus on, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is the passage that Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? This is the passage that he went to, and he quoted, 
And that's going to be our focus today as we look through it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Here's how it starts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That first word here in the Hebrew is Shema. And the Israelites had this prayer that they would say two times every day. The Shema. They would say it in the morning and they would say it in the evening. Now the word Shema is an interesting word because it has kind of two parts to it. It means not only to hear as in sound waves coming through our, our, our ears and vibrating our eardrums. It also means to obey, to listen and obey. You cannot separate the listening from the obedience. In fact, in the Old Testament, there is not a word. In Hebrew, there's not a word for obey. Specifically, it's the word shema. Because when you hear something, you do it. It means to listen. It means to pay attention. And it means to do it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4 verse 9, he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, he wasn't just saying, just take in this information. He was saying, he who, if you're hearing this, go do it. James, he gets even more specific. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be, what? Doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you're just hearing it and you're not doing it, that's, you're deceiving yourself. That is not what hearing really is. So when we think of the word Shema, hear it, understand it, and do it. And the first thing that Moses wants the people of Israel to know, this first truth to act upon, is this beautiful statement that we have. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is what? The Lord is one. Now, why is that so significant? Why would Moses say that's where we have to start? In Moses' culture... Most nations surrounding Israel were polytheistic. They believed in many, many gods. Now, here's a problem. These gods were vindictive, and they competed against each other. So think about that. How do you serve many gods? Because if I bow before this god, these two gods are going to come at me because they don't like that. If I bow before this god, these two gods are going to come at me. So the people of, of, of polytheism lived in perennial insecurity. They always thought a God was after them. But not Israel. The Lord, he's one. It's different for you. Yahweh alone is God. There's no competition. He alone is all-powerful. He alone is infinite. He alone is absolute. He alone is to be loved and worshipped. He's the only one you have to obey. Think about the security that comes with that. We're not with competing gods here. You, you, you just bow before the God of eternity. You bow before the absolute God. You bow before the infinite God. Now, Israel also knew this. They knew that one day every nation Every people, whatever God they worshipped at that particular time, every people, they were going to bow before Yahweh. 
Zechariah chapter 14, 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. They knew that. God's going to be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one. Everyone will know he's one. And his name one, everyone's going to know his name. Paul takes that same truth. And here's how he says it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. I'm talking about Jesus now. God sent his son Jesus. Jesus is fully God. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name, that one name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Paul, like every knee, or is that some knee or what? No, Paul says every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That covers it all, doesn't it? And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about that. There is no one like him. And one day, every knee will bow. He is king over all. Now, here's a question. Two questions. Do you believe that? Do you hear that? And are you acting on that? Is there any other God in your life? Now, I'm pretty sure you don't have like a wooden carving in your front yard. But there's, there's those subtle gods, right? God of money. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God, the God, and this other God. Uh, materialism. Sometimes our children, we're talking about a parenting, sometimes, sometimes parents can, can, can orbit around their children in such a way that they make their children their God. So what is it in your life? Could someone look at your life and say, you know, you know what, I can't get in their mind, so I don't know what they're hearing, but I tell you this, here's what I see them do. Here's how I see them act. Here's how I see them respond. So two questions. Is God your God? The Lord our God, he is one. Is that true? And how would anyone know that? Well, Moses is not going to stop there. He's going to tell us how people can know that. So look at verse 5. If you believe that, here's what you do. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You shall love the Lord your God. That word love is an interesting word in the Old Testament. It's the word ahava, and it's used a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's used for physical love, but not much. There's a, another word that's used for physical love. It can be used for um, the love that a parent has for his or her child. Uh, it can be used uh, for uh, love that uh, two friends would have for each other. David and Jonathan, they had an ahava for each other. They had a kindred spirit. It can, sometimes it's used as a nation loving their king. It says that the, the nation of Israel loved David, their king, Ahava. But always with Ahava, it can be, it's used of God as well. It's an interesting word because it can be used of people but used of God. But always it has action to it. It's never just an emotion. It is an emotion. It's an affection. We love God. We've all at our campuses, we've been singing songs and and, and, it, and it, it, come, it brings up within us an emotion of how we love God and how, how we want to worship Him. So there's an emotion to it for sure, but there's also 
a demonstration of it. Now, here's the important thing for us to understand here. When we talk about loving God, it is not that we woke up on a really good day and we said, today, I think, I'll start loving God. It doesn't happen, does it? Scripture is clear that love originates with God. That is part of his character. He is love. God is love. He doesn't love. He is love. And he can't stop loving any more than he can stop being eternal or stop being omnipresent or stop, or stop being all-knowing. He is love. And so, if we love, we've been talking about being made in the image of God, if we love, that love comes not from us, but comes from God through us. Let me show you uh, how that works in a couple passages. First, the Old Testament. Look at chapter, just turn over one chapter, chapter 7, Deuteronomy, and look at verse 7. God's speaking to uh, Israel, and he's saying, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. So God didn't look down and say, oh man, Israel, you're the biggest nation. You're the most powerful. I need you on my team. And then you were the fewest. God chose you. And he set his love on you. So it wasn't because you were numerous, but because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of, the, uh, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's the Old Testament. God set his love on you. We see the same truth in the New Testament. John chapter 14, John 4 verse 19. We love... Because what? He first loved us. Let's read that together. Ready? We love because he first loved us. Okay, Washington, you guys got to pick that up. We're going to do that again. You ready? We love because he first loved us. We only love because God first loved us. And when we love because of God's love through us, and there's that emotion, and there's that reverence, and there's that awe, and there's that affection, it always produces what? Obedience. Love always produces obedience. Let me give you a few passages in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 22. For if you will be careful to do all this uh, commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God. How am I going to love the Lord your God, well, my God, well, I'm going to walk in all his ways. I'm going to hold fast to him. Love, walking. Love, action. Deuteronomy 19.9. Provided you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I command you today, how am I going to do that? How am I going to keep your commandments, Lord? Well, I'm going to love you. And how am I going to demonstrate I love you? By walking ever in his ways. Deuteronomy 30, 16. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, well, how am I going to do that? By loving, affection, the Lord your God, and by what? Walking in his ways. Love is always 
action. We know that in our lives, don't we? If we say we love our spouse or we love our children, but we don't act like it, do we, do we really love them? So important to understand that the demonstration of our vertical love, so we can say we love God, our demonstration of our vertical love is always demonstrated horizontally, right? That's what John says. John chapter 4, 1 John, we love because he first loved us. And then, then John says this, if anyone says, oh, I love God, oh, I love God, and hates his brother, John doesn't mince any words, does he? He is a what? Not telling the truth. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. I love God. That's the vertical. That's where it starts. That's the most important we. But it's demonstrated in the horizontal love. We can't say we love God, 1 John says, unless we are demonstrating that love in our life. And again, our brother there is not just the person we live next to or people we meet with in here. That other person in our life should be our children as parents, our wife. Are we demonstrating, demonstrating that type of love to them? Now, what's that love look like? How, how encompassing is it? Well, Moses says... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let's just think about those three words. First of all, heart. When you read heart in Scripture, it is the, it's the control center of our life. Our heart uh, represents, it's not the, not the muscle pumping blood through our, through our body. It's on this side, right? It's over here. Okay, it's not the heart here, but it is the control center of our mind, our thinking, our emotions, and our will. Anytime you see heart, it's, it encompasses that. Then our soul. Our soul is an interesting word. Soul means our being, our personality, the part of us that moves our body. Um, we had two funerals at the Bible Chapel yesterday. Chris Norton, a, a new member, uh, passed away, and we had his funeral. And then uh, Vicki Yenner, uh, um, Carl and Vicki and their family grew up at the Bible. They've been, they've been um, part of our church for 39 years. And uh, at, the, at the cemetery, there, when we were uh, talking with the family, all the 16 grandkids were up front. And so we could explain to them, your grandmother... Her body is going to be buried for now. But her soul, that part of her you knew, the part that gave you hugs, the part that loved you, the part that taught you, the part that in her personality, her laugh, all that, her soul went to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, right? When we say absent from the body, that we're talking about our soul. Our soul is absent from the body, but we are present with the Lord. And then it gets even better than that, doesn't it? Because one day, 1 Thessalonians says, Jesus is going to come back, and all those who have believers who have died in Christ are going to come back with him. Think about this. Every cemetery in the world, those bodies 
are going to be ray, or the oceans or waters or however a person is buried, their bodies are going to be put back together and raised from the grave. A resurrected body. And then we'll join our soul. It's already in heaven, in the air. We're going to live forever in a resurrected body. C.S. Lewis says, uh, fact is more uh, uh, fantastic than fiction. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine that? The truth of what's going to happen. That's our soul. That's our personality. So we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. We're to love the Lord our God with all our soul. And we're to love the Lord our God with all our strength. That is our energy. Everything we have. So what what are we putting our heart toward? What are we putting our personality toward? Our gifts? What are we putting our strength toward? The Shema says... That needs to go to God. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Kind of summed up in chapter 6, verse 6. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Uh, Moses is saying, these these things should be absorbed by you. Commit this to memory. That's why the Jews recite it morning and evening. They want it to be on their heart. And we need it on our heart as well, don't we? We want it to be a critical part of who we are. Now, first it's the vertical, right? Biblical framework of parenting. First it's the vertical. Now we have some work to do. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them, what's them? The commandments, right? The law, the instruction of God. The instruction of God allows us to have a covenant with him. God says, I love you. I want to walk with you. Here's, here are the rules. Here are the guidelines. We're going to, here is the instruction, the commands that we're going to use to walk together. This is our covenant with each other. So you teach God's word, we would say, to your children. You teach them diligently to your children. The word teach in Hebrew means repeat. Repeat. That's how you teach, right? You repeat things over and over again until someone gets them. And someone said, we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. The root word is the word engrave. And it's the picture of an engraver standing before a a granite slab. And the engraver takes a chisel, right? And a hammer, a red hammer, probably. And starts repeatedly hitting the chisel. It starts cutting into the slab of granite by repetition. And pretty soon, the engraver has engraved a text on the stone of granite. And when an engraver engraves a text on a stone of granite, it stays there, doesn't it? For years. And that's the picture here of a parent teaching a child. Over and over, you repeatedly teach them diligently. You engrave on their heart the truth of God, the commands of God, the instruction of God, the love of God. And how do you do that? Well, you send them to Christian school, right? Parks. Yeah, that's good, but that's not the answer. You send them to youth group. Right? Great youth group here with Jay and all of our other uh, youth groups at the campuses. 
That's great, but that's not what Moses says. You um, send them to Christian camp over the summer, right? That's fantastic, but that's not what Moses says. Look what he says. You repeatedly, you teach them diligently, and here's how you do it. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Here's a beautiful uh, a figure of speech in Scripture called a merism. And what a merism does, it's really cool. It takes, the, it takes the extremes, and then it means, and everything in between. So Moses said, you shall, you, shall, you, shall, you shall show them what it looks like to follow Jesus when you sit in your home, when you're sitting there, and when you're walking on the way, when you're doing the activities of the day, when you're sitting at the dinner table, and when you're, when you're in the van going to soccer practice or walking them to school or whatever you're doing with your kids. And every time in between. You shall teach them when you, uh, when you lie down and when you rise. When you get up in the morning, start teaching them. And then when you lie down at night, you teach them. But then it's every time in between, right? Parenting is, is really, if we could just sum it up, Kind of just showing that what we did in the third grade, remember? Show and tell. Every, every Friday, show and tell. That's what parenting is. Tell them the truth and then show them what it looks like. The most confusing thing for a child is for us to tell them one thing but show them something else, right? We need to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. You bind them as a sign on your hand. Now, the Jews took this very literally, and they had these things called phylacteries. They were little boxes, and they would strap these boxes to their hand. They would put verses in the boxes, and then you shall, you shall put them on the frontlets between your eyes, and they'd put these little boxes, again, uh, leather boxes right here on their eyes, and then uh, you shall write them on your doorpost, mezuzahs, if you've heard of those. Uh, they would put these little cylinders uh, with, uh, with passages inside, the Deuteronomy passage and some others. And they would nail them on the doorpost, the right doorpost of every room in the house. That's literal. But Moses is saying, it's just not putting a box on your arm or your head. He's saying, you put it on your hand because you want your actions to demonstrate your love for God. You want, you want the direction of your life to demonstrate your love for God. You want every room of your home to be absorbed by the love of God. You want to make sure that you are teaching your children every day what it looks like to follow hard after Jesus. That's our challenge, isn't it? Now, next time, I'm going to give you some tools, plug and plays. But today, I want us just to focus on, are we doing that in our, in our homes? Are we demonstrating with everything we have? We're not perfect, so we're going to fail in this. But are we demonstrating what it looks like to follow hard after Jesus? Our conversation, is it demonstrating what it looks like to love Jesus? Even when as a husband and wife we have conflict. We're going to have conflict. That's just the deal. But we can do that 
in a way, we can resolve conflict in a way that demonstrates to our children, man, that's a healthy way to do this. Are, are, we, are we demonstrating to our kids uh, how to read God's word and study God's word? Again, not, not, not just a Bible study in the morning and we checked off that list and that's done, but all day long, God's great creation, God's great provisions, teaching them in a normal, natural way every day, all day long, what it looks like to follow Jesus. So the Innerts have been um, a family at our church, like I say, for 39 years. They were here before I came. And it's always been so uh, encouraging how they uh, raised their kids in a very intentional way to love Jesus. At, their, at Vicky's memorial service yesterday, all five kids got up and talked about their mother's love for the Lord first, and then her love for them. One of them said, you know, what we loved about our mother, she, she wasn't inherently good. No one's good, right? Romans chapter 3, none is righteous, not even one. All have sinned. She wasn't inherently good. But what we loved about our mother was Christ living through her. Her relationship with Jesus. When we used to go uh, to church, I, I said this yesterday, but uh, we would always see them sitting there, and Carl and then Vicky, and then their five kids, and they were perfect. Like they sat there and didn't move. We couldn't keep our kids still. So when I, we came in, I'd say, Lori, where are the inert sitting? I don't want to sit behind them because I, I can't handle that. I want to sit somewhere else. Our kids are going to be moving all over the place. Listen to what Carl wrote. Let me hear this. Vicki was very intentional about encouraging them in reading scripture and worked very hard to resolve conflicts and preserve healthy relationships among the children. As Vicki and I have reflected in our waning time together, it is the reach and influence of these godly young people, our children and their spouses and their children that gave us the greatest satisfaction of a job well done. Isn't that good? At the end of the day, it's all there is, right? It's not about your life and where you lived and what you drove, all that stuff. It's about the impact you have on your kids. It's about the impact you have on your family. And that all starts again with that vertical. And then... If we love God, we demonstrate that in our life.